Welcome to our second live podcast this evening of Talk Gnosis After Dark. Well, I Hello, Bishop Peterson. How are you? I am wonderful, Bishop Canterbury. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. We are being joined by some fun guests here tonight. We are. Uh, not only our producer, Father Tony, but Mar Thomas, the primate of North America. And he wants to make sure I get his name right after knowing him for 20 years and being my consecrator. William Bean, and also Deacon John DeGilio. How are you, John? I'm doing very well, Bishop Ken. Thank you for having me. Yeah, don't ask Bishop Will how he's doing. Nobody cares. Nobody cares, and, and I would just talk for 20 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as we can hear about the lobster, you know, we could probably tie that into prayer really well. Absolutely. I, they Is, were saying their prayers as they went into the boiling pot. So, And I'm praying for lobster after hearing the story about them. Uh, but tonight on Talk Gnosis, we were discussing kind of the Gnostic idea of prayer. Um, and as usual in our shows, I mean, we can only kind of touch base for uh, – for kind of a brief period of time. Uh, but I think I'm going to throw this one right out to the AGC uh, primate of North uh, of North America here. Uh, of the United Bill. States, actually. I, can't, I okay. can't claim North America because my, my, my boss is in Canada. So Yeah, this is true. So we'll, we'll say United States then. Um, Will, what can, uh, what can you tell us about your Gnostic views and prayer? Well, I always... Uh, think about prayer, the, the standard sort of rhetoric in talking about prayer is the three forms of prayer, which are uh, please, thanks, wow. Uh, the, the, there's supplication, thanksgiving, and praise. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I find most striking, I mean, everybody's familiar with supplication. Everybody's, you know, I'm going to pray for strength. I'm going to pray for, uh, you know, for, for insight. And those things, there's absolutely, I don't think anything wrong uh, with that. Uh, that's a very mainstream view of prayer. And I think that that's completely legitimate for a Gnostic as well. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly Thanksgiving, uh, mm -hmm. we, uh, you know, pray for the things that we've received we we offer up praise to the divine or excuse me thanks to the divine for the gifts that we've received but it's really the third one that i find most sort of appropriate for a gnostic approach to uh to the divine that it it doesn't think in terms of transactions it doesn't think in terms of giving and receiving it mm -hmm. instead simply acknowledges the presence of the divine in the world and and that's something that i think that uh, the the mainstream churches in many ways have lost touch with and that that could be uh, sort of especially appropriate for a Gnostic approach. Interesting. I'm interested in um, when we talk about the difference between, between no exchange, but the idea of saying, wow, uh, is that sort of thing, do you see it in, as having more of a form in a liturgical setting, say in a, in a community or corporate prayer, or is it something that uh, we can often find ourselves doing just as we go throughout the day? I, I think both, and certainly within a liturgical context, the 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 whole of the liturgy in, in most cases, and, and primarily I'm speaking uh, from the perspective of the AJC liturgies, mm -hmm. but... Uh, mm -hmm. 
but I think that liturgy in general is is in many ways a reflection of the the practices of the heavenly court. I mean, this is often the image that we have that we like the angels uh, dwell for a moment in the presence of the divine and and acknowledge its its uh, its depth and its profundity and and acknowledge our place in relationship to it. But I do think that it can also be something that uh, in our daily prayers or, or in our, our, you know, just prayerful attitude towards our own being, that is something that we can, we can engage in, something that we can embrace. Yeah, I'm reminded we were talking during the, the video broadcast earlier about the vocation of poor clairs who are cloistered and contemplative. And in fact, that's what they do all day is pray. And then even some sisters will stay up even throughout the night forsaking sleep and adoration of the Eucharist. Would you see something like that as being in the wow category? I think so. I think I think that's exactly sort of what I've what I I'm sort of imagining in in my own mind of that mm-hmm. the appropriate form of of that wow that that simple praise uh, would look like and and there is such a long and wonderful tradition in in Christianity generally but in in other faiths as well of of this acknowledgement of of the divine and the contemplation of the divine now it's funny you should mention other faiths because we have with us uh deacon john who mm-hmm. is uh mildly buddhist as well as <laughs> joe and i um, mildly buddhist yeah. i'm not quite sure what that would mean yeah no it's uh you know like moderately dead i don't know um <laughs> So, uh, John, how do you view prayer from your myriad perspectives? Well, it's interesting because I, actually I want to go back to something His Grace was just saying about this idea of, of the wow factor. And I think the wow factor comes in in not so subtle ways. One of the things that are one of the people that's often quoted whenever we're talking about prayer is people love to always quote the Apostle Paul. You know, and his admonition that you should pray unceasingly or, you know, pray without cease. And that's not all he said. You know, a big part of what he said was to rejoice always, to give thanks in all things. And that's the wow factor. So it's not just this idea of praying, but it's this idea of truly admiring, truly giving thanks, truly rejoicing in all things that we see and all things that we do. That in itself is a form of prayer. And with the other traditions and Again, for those who've heard me speak before, I talk often about the Buddhist practices. I talk often about the Hindu practices, especially those of the Vaishnavas. And it's the same thing here. It's this idea of this unceasing prayer, not just as a way to ask for things or to give supplication, but again, this wow factor that his grace mentions. It's, you know, realizing the divine is there in everything and it's simply acknowledging it, whether it's chanting Japa, for example, on the prayer beads, uh, you know, the name of Krishna, the name of Vishnu, whatever it may be. Or sitting down as a Buddhist and, again, you know, saying your mantras. The great example is always the uh, Pure Land Buddhists and their Nembutsu. You know, when they're saying it over and over again, it's not so much that they're asking for everything. It's they're recognizing that there is this divine in everything. It's that wow factor. And it's remembering that part of what we do is through prayer is we develop that intimate 
relationship. We're keeping the divine first and foremost in our sight, but also recognizing it in everything around us. So the wow factor is a big motivator for me, no matter which uh, tradition I'm coming at it from. It's interesting that you mentioned mantra, uh, because, of course, for for me and for my practices, uh, the hesychasm is is an important mm-hmm. form of, of prayerfulness, and many people have uh, sort of drawn a connection between mantra yoga, those sorts of practices, and the practices of the repetitive prayer of hesychasm. And many Orthodox uh, thinkers, theologians, and and practitioners have really resisted that. And mm-hmm. so when I first encountered that, I said, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of take their word for it that this is not like mantra yoga. This is something fundamentally different." And the more that I engaged the practice, the more I thought to myself, "Well, no, it isn't." different it, it it's the it's the same sort of practice and i think it's it's exactly what you're talking about john this this recognition of the presence of the divine in all things that that really comes through in in hesychism so i think that not to be critical not to be critical of our orthodox uh, sisters and brothers but but i think that their resistance to this stems from a misunderstanding of of mantra yoga more than anything else. Hmm. Now, now, Will, could you explain to our viewers, for those who aren't familiar with this practice, exactly uh, uh, briefly, you know, what uh, what you mean by this practice? The hesychasm, uh, which means in Greek simply stillness, mm-hmm. uh, is a practice of repetitive prayer. In general, it uses the Jesus prayer, the very, very short prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is repeated sometimes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And it does create a kind of of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that for the Orthodox, what is is emphasized there is our position vis-a-vis the divine, that I am tonhamartalon, I am a sinner. I am mm-hmm. a, a, a person that is in a fallen state. And I don't think that that's necessarily the sort of vicarious atonement uh, theology that says, oh, I am, I am such a sinner. Oh, I am so full of suck. Let me tell you how full of suck I am. <laughs> um, you know, which I think many uh, Gnostics, rightly so, feel a kind of aversion to, a kind of allergy mm-hmm. to. Um, but instead, it is a recognition that we always have more to do, that we always have uh, room to grow and room to grow closer to the divine. Uh, and so the the standard practice of uh, hesychasm is to fold oneself up, to, to go into one's closet to pray and in the sense of the the body and closing into the body and folding oneself in to oneself and turning inward by reciting this prayer to the exclusion of everything else to mm-hmm. to limit our exposure to to everything uh, outside of ourselves and thereby to recognize that God dwells 
decisively inside as well as outside. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I find most uh, extraordinary about this, this practice. Uh, I think it's something that is very easy to do. It is, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's very fulfilling. It's very, very uplifting. Um, and it's something that anybody can, can practice effectively. And it, simply is the repetition of this very simple prayer and the contemplation of the content of that prayer. And I think that that if there is a distinction to be drawn between mantra yoga and uh, the practice of hesychasm, it does have to do with the import of the prayer, which I think is much more decisive in hesychasm than it is, say, in, in mantra yoga. If I'm chanting Om Mani Padme Om over and over, for me, not being a Sanskrit speaker, that's, that's just sound. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, a repetitive sound that, that creates a certain uh, almost trance-like uh, state for me. Whereas in hesychasm, I think there is some emphasis on the meaning of the words themselves and and what that has to say about our relationship to god that is um you know it's a very good explanation of that practice being raised a protestant um you know it's it's a practice that i've examined i promise i won't hold that against you oh you but you already have oh yeah Um, (laughs) many times um but that's actually a, a really uh excellent explanation of that particular practice i know that some orthodox would say you should never even attempt it without working with an orthodox spiritual director Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, we might say that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to speak to that because I'm, I'm not orthodox and I can't make that decision. Although I do think that people should seek out spiritual direction, if anything, just to have an external third party checking you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the one thing I want to tr- kind of turn this a little bit is the practice of intercessory prayer praying for other people, where we're not um, just being still on the inside and, and, and praying um, for our own connection, but we are praying on behalf of others. And there have been people who have criticized intercessory prayer for a number of reasons and said, you know, how, who, who are you to pray for somebody? Who are you to say that you, what you think this person would ought to be happening for to this person and who are you to try and manipulate god's plans wow wow um and this that is, just it, seems so foreign to 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 my experience of intercessory prayer it just it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around that it's a critique that i've heard well actually it's it's something that i've often wondered about um you know, whenever we get our prayer requests on our email list, you know, I'll, I, I always do pray for people, but I don't often know how to go about it because on the one hand, you know, I, I think that whatever's going to happen is probably going to happen. And my, you know, 15 seconds of prayer or whatever it is, isn't really going to make much difference. But on the other hand, I do believe in the power of, you know, the, that kind of communication with the divine. Uh, both within and without, as as you said before. So it, I have some conflicting feelings on it, and so I, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I can add to that as well. You know, part of what I've often heard growing up was, you know, people would tell you to pray, but then others would say, be careful. 
what it is that you pray for or be mindful of what it is that you pray for. And there will there are those who will go so far as to say it's offensive to pray for material things, you know, to pray to, to win the lottery or to have some great success or, you know, these are almost considered blasphemous to some people who are very strict about their prayer practices. And yet from my study of what the various scriptures say on about prayer, the only thing I often find is that we know we are being told, pray for one another, pray often. The only thing we're being told not to do is to make a spectacle of it. Yeah. In mm -hmm. other words, not mm -hmm. stand there for the sake of being seen, but you know, God never said, or I, I take that back, it's never written in the scriptures anywhere, you know, pray for only these things if you want my ear. It's constantly, when you read it, being told, you know, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be opened. So when, when people ask me, I often tell them, just pray. It doesn't matter what you pray for as long as, again, you're having those conversations with God or the divine. So that's a very interesting question that both uh, Bishop Laney and Father Tony uh, mentioned. Well, yeah. what is the what, – what, <laughs> I'm you know, maybe we're getting into some legalistic stuff here. But, I mean, what is the mechanism of prayer? Um, you know, and especially as Gnostics, we have all these layers, right, that we have to worry about and, or think mm -hmm. about or, um, you know, what is – when we pray for, for material things, are we praying for stuff that the archons deliver? I mean, in a, <laughs> I, in, either in a literal or a meta metaphorical that, sense? Or? Yeah, when we enter into these transactions, I mean, the, the, the main question is with, with whom are we transacting? Yeah. Yes. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that if we take a very sort of materialistic view of things where, where there is a kind of machine, there's a kind of mechanism where I go, okay, I'm going to ask to win the lottery. And if this prayer is efficacious, then someone or something out in the universe is going to engineer things so that I win the lottery. And that's one of the reasons that I, I, find uh, prayer for material things to be somewhat suspect as as John was saying I think that um, that we do have to at least be mindful of what we're asking and and so I might disagree a little bit with John uh, on on this one certainly there's there's plenty of room for us to disagree on these things mm -hmm. uh, that that we do need to to wonder at least to ourselves, what we're asking for. And I know that for me, uh, and again, I can speak primarily only from my own experience, uh, if, if you say to me, oh, somebody is, is having a hard time, uh, can you pray for them? What I pray for is, as a kind of intercession for them is I pray for what is best for them. I don't yes. presume to know what is best for them. I, I pray for for. God to give them what is best for them, uh, and I think that that but often is not God already going to do that. One would presume. Right? I mean, one, that, one and, would and that that raises a really, really important question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, are, is it just wasted breath at that point? Um, because we we presume that God, out of His goodness, and again, I'm taking a very sort of traditional Christian view of these things, of God and his goodness always gives us what is best for us. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, that 
that is a real question. I I, I yeah, have to if admit, you, if I'm you, a little puzzled. If you look at the Sethians, they would say that there is, for the most part, an absent creator god, right? The alien god, the the the, the fullness that does not really have a lot to do with us down here directly. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have the creator, the Demiurge, who actually kind of manipulates and does things down here, and this is his kind of territory. Um, it, it, are we talking about, you know, the... Are we talking about praying towards that absent alien god? Are we talking about praying towards, say, an, an Aeon? Um, you know, and and... I don't know if there's one particular answer for that's perfect for every case, but uh, there's certainly, uh, for me anyway, something to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would for myself, I I would have to say that it's it's a question, it's and it's something that I don't have a good answer for. I think. It, part, okay, go, ahead, go ahead, Bishop Laney. Uh, um, you know, I was just thinking about we were talking during the show about the practice that I've developed when. I'm on Facebook or social media and people are asking for prayers for stopping for H1 and praying briefly. And while I do think that this practice has been good for me, it does raise the question, is this helping anybody else for, but me? Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it raises that issue of, first of all, is God going to do what God's going to do? And as Father Tony says, if what God are we talking about? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I think for, for Gnostics, that does raise an issue that, okay, mm -hmm. prayer might be something for our own spiritual practice, but once we start getting into intercessory prayer for others where we're specifically uh, asking, now we're in a bit of a sticky wicket. Mm -hmm. Well, let me throw this out here, guys, for, okay. for all of you to kind of contemplate. I know that when I think of prayer, um, I think of the idea of when I speak of God, I am speaking of that unknown God. You know, I'm not thinking of of any archons or the demiurge. It's of that unknown God. Would I would argue that as Gnostics, um, you know, part of what we are here for is to kind of bring knowledge of God, the unknown father and of helping souls to return to that source. Mm -hmm. And because we, that is kind of our purpose. Um, I mean, is this not kind of the work, work of Gnostics of making, you know, that unknown God manifest within this universe. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe um, go ahead, John. I was going to say to piggyback on what Bishop Ken just said, part of what we have to remember as Gnostics as well is a lot of the discussion we just had assumes that there is a God out there that has a definite plan and that is mm -hmm. going to always give us what is good for us. There are many of Gnostic belief who will turn around and tell you that they do not see the handwork of, of the divine so direct that it's, you know, God isn't always out there just giving and doing that, mm -hmm. you know, there's this idea of going home and we don't know what the role of God really is. And that there is a certain degree of power that we have over ourselves to bring intercession into our lives. And, you know, that's sort of where I fall in many cases is I've never gone into life saying God has a plan for me. My take on life has always been God has given me an amazing opportunity to see what I can make of it. And there are times when I'm going to need to call on him or her for help. 
uh, to get things done. And then it's like any other parent, they'll provide or they won't. And a prayer isn't a contract that says, no. you know, you know, Heavenly Father, if I make this prayer and you don't deliver, you know, you're going to owe me big time. That's, that's not how it works. No. You know, can, can we veer a little bit into uh, esoteric practice here for a minute? Because I know a lot of us are occultists and of mm-hmm. various yeah. forms. Well, Tony, if if I could, just before we get get into that, there's the I I would even I think take it one step further than than what Bishop Canterbury and and John are saying. That I think that there are times when we might, as Gnostics, pray for the unknown Father. Mm-hmm. And yes. pray on behalf of the unknown father, mm-hmm. and and at that point, that may be the way that that intercessory prayer begins to make sense. That we pray that that the unknown becomes present in a way Jesus that said. that it isn't uh, in, in for many Gnostics, and I think that that's uh, that may lead straight into what what you're talking about, Father Tony. I mean the the esoteric dimension of these things. Yeah, no, that could be. I, I actually like the idea of that. I might give that a shot. Um, yes, absolutely. But no, what I, what I was thinking of was that kind of contractual agreement kind of understanding of prayer, whereas in a lot of esoteric practice, um, there is a ritual. You do the ritual. You get X result. Um if you look at the ritual as a form of prayer, and in some cases that's certainly appropriate, mm-hmm. um, are we not talking about some kind of transactional experience? I certainly try to avoid thinking of it in those terms. Uh, I find that uh, at the very least distasteful to be perfectly honest. Um, I find it problematic to think in, in these very sort of straightforward, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get uh, this sort of result. Uh, I, I, I find that, that to be, as I said, at least uh, problematic, and and sometimes I have stronger words for that. Um, well, let me cite a, a specific example. If, sure. If, if we're talking about something like, um, say, the Abermelon ritual, right, um, mm-hmm. which has come to be the, I don't know, maybe probably the most common way to achieve what they call knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you you do the Abermelon ritual? Um, you expect <laughs> at some point to receive that knowledge and conversation. Is that not correct? Well, you see, I think that the model there is the, the best way for me to think about this is to think of that not in terms of a transaction I'm making with some power, but rather uh, as a kind of spiritual discipline, as a kind of training. So I want to lose weight, and I do. Um, so, you know, I I undertake certain practices. I eat less, I, you know, walk, move around more. Um, and I expect that as a result of that, I will gain this benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that, that that's transactional in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if we, if we go back to the, the sort of original meaning of, of asceticism, of ascesis, as discipline, 
Um, I think that if we use almost that kind of sport metaphor, I, I don't sacrifice so that, uh, you know, somebody will see my sacrifice and honor it. I sacrifice in the sense that if I'm training for an athletic event, I get up at 5.30 in the morning to go work out as opposed to lying in bed for another hour and a half. Um, and that's the discipline. That's the sacrifice. And the result comes as a, as uh, a, a natural sort of consequence of that. And sometimes... The, you know, we end up with a with an entirely different consequence when it, when 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 we pray for something. I, I'm thinking about my own experience. We're talking about you know discipline and experience. I remember when I was in seminary, um, my father had uh, had a, a mini stroke. Went he went to the hospital, and I prayed for him at that time. And I prayed that you know God would let my father live for 20 more years. I was 26 at the time. And uh, my father was discharged from the hospital, cleared with all these tests, looked fine. I thanked God for answering my prayer. And three weeks later, my father dropped dead. And I remember at the time, I was in seminary, I was training for the ministry, and I remember praying that very night that he died. And what happened was, you know, there was the God that I once knew was no longer there. But God was there. There was an entirely different God that was present for me at that time. And it was, a, you know, it was just a very different understanding. And so sometimes, you know, the intercessory prayer or that, that ask, asking for something, it may, the transaction may be entirely unexpected. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. And I find that that, that would be a very... Uh, productive, a very uh, sort of enlightening sort of experience to come out of prayer. Um, I, I still get very nervous whenever we think of it in these mechanistic, materialistic, transactional kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. I think that that, mm -hmm. that 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 leads us astray, and and and. I think in, instead there might be a different way of mm -hmm. of sort of just phrasing yeah. that phrasing experience. You know, yeah. I, I think it's it, it may just come down to a matter of semantics, right? Well, it it may well be. It, sorry, I was going to say if you look at it from the from the legal sense, when we start to say transactional, in the case of a transaction, there's always a penalty uh, for when the transaction goes goes astray. And is that the situation that we ultimately want to get ourselves into? You know, <laughs> what, what is the penalty when God doesn't answer your prayer? And who really gets penalized? It's still going to be you. So, you know, do we, you know, do we start? This is not at, a good contract. <laughs> no, it's not a good contract. In fact, it's a very one-sided contract. Um, it wouldn't, you know, pass muster as a transaction, but it also reminds me of so many times. I think as humans, though, that is the terminology that we are familiar with. That's the interaction that we do understand. So I can think of so many prayers um, from other uh, groups where people say, you know, if you find this supplication favorable, you know, if you find this sacrifice worthy, uh, then you'll do things. So I think we actually do stretch ourselves to get that transactional language in there because we almost feel like we have that need. So I understand it. 
Well, it obligates us in a way. And I think that, that we, we want to be obligated when we, when we reach out in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to say, you know, it, we don't want to be beggars. We want to be uh, earning our yeah. keep. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that that's, that's much of what, uh, what this transactionalism represents. But I think that the challenge to this is, is nothing new. Uh, this is a critique that we see, and uh, I don't know if your, your listeners uh, know anything about me, but in you know, another part of my life, I am also a, a teacher of philosophy. And so I often think of it in these terms. In Plato's Euthyphro, there is a discussion of precisely this question. How is our interaction with the gods? Um, what's the appropriate form of that interaction? And one of the things that Socrates uh, really critiques is this idea that we are somehow engaging in a transaction with the divine when we are pious. So this is not a new concern or a new problem. It's something that obviously has haunted uh, prayer uh, since long before the, the advent of Christianity. If, if I may throw a question to you bishops is, you know, the next logical step in this for me is, does this transactional need also come from the idea of somehow that we're equals? You know, if I do this, then God will do this. And it brings this to, you know, to the ultimate question of, as you said, you know, what is the nature of the interaction? Does God need our prayers or do we need God's guidance? You know, that sort of thing. So I throw that to you guys. Is there that degree again of us trying to always, you know, as human nature, put ourselves on the same pedestal? That's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's, that's worrisome uh, if we put ourselves. And, and that's, to circle back a little bit, I think one of the reasons that the hesychism practice is so useful for me is because it does emphasize the inequality Mm-hmm. of that exchange that uh not to get too augustinian but that there is this necessity of grace mm-hmm. um but when and and then again to to circle back to to what father tony was saying when we look at this from an esoteric standpoint from a ritual practice standpoint uh i think that it is really sort of a fallback position for us to think in terms of these simple transactions where I'm going to ask something from God or an angel or a spirit or the intelligence of the intelligence of the moon or whatever it is that I'm, that I'm, I'm engaging and either by threat or by cajoling or by bribery or by some other means, I'm going to get what I want from this spirit. And I think that whenever we do that, we're treading on on some pretty dicey ground. What about the idea of prayer as openness? That you know, we're not talking about I'm you're, I'm going to ask you to do this for me, and, and and I'll do this for you, God, or I'm going to grovel so that you feel good, and God, and and you'll you'll take pity on me. But the idea of prayer <coughs> as opening oneself up, opening one's attention to the divine, and just being open to God, and being open to say God's if we want to talk about energies, but the idea of trying to get away from the exchange idea and into an openness, uh, a position of openness. 
I think that's pretty much exclusively how I approach prayer for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, and I, I actually, I wrote about this in my book and um, uh, 36 minutes for those of you counting how long it takes me to bring up my book. I was going to say, <laughs> the shameless plug was pretty much inevitable. Yep. So <laughs> I, you know, like for example, I have this one practice that I do that whenever I am driving and I pass one of those roadside crosses, you know, for mm-hmm. those memorials that people put up, mm-hmm. um, I have a rule that I have to say a prayer at that point. And it's, it's, not necessarily for the person who passed away in that spot, but it's more that I am reminding myself that I am supposed to be living a life prayerfully, and I'm supposed to do this praying without ceasing kind of stuff that John was mentioning earlier, and Mm -hmm. that these visual cues, for me, um, remind me to be open to those energies or what have whatever you'd want to call it. You could you could just as easily do it anytime your speedometer, you know, ticks over, you know, uh fifty miles. Yes. Right? I, yeah. it, it, it doesn't really matter what it is. Right. As right. long as we have this reminder. Um and, and I think that that's a really sort of when when John was invoking St. Paul uh, and this idea of praying without cease. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what's what's at stake there. When we, it isn't that we just set aside and I'm going to say my prayers at night, and mm-hmm. and and that's great. I mean, I'm not criticizing that practice, mm-hmm. but we can go beyond that. We can say, well, how about every time I walk through a doorway, I say a prayer, mm-hmm. or every time I I pass underneath a bridge, I I say a prayer, and then it becomes something that that is integrated into our lives in a more organic way, and does open us up, as Bishop Lenny was saying, that that this does provide a kind of openness because it isn't uh, transactional, it isn't uh, even intercessory. It, it's just a recognition of of the presence of the divine in my own life. And, and I think that, I think that if we're talking about uh, formal ritual practices, Mm -hmm. that's a little different, right? And, and both of those have great value. Um, So I think that, that we are talking in some ways about two different kinds of prayer, um, both of which are salutary, both of which are, are should be encouraged, uh, but which have fundamentally different purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of switching a little bit here, how, as I said, growing up as a Protestant, uh, there wasn't a big emphasis on how one prayed. You prayed, but it wasn't a difference. wasn't uh, any consideration of certain prayers for certain times. There were no rosaries. There was no kneeling. Yet as I got older, I found that body posture oftentimes mattered in prayer. Mm-hmm. Not so much that I felt the prayer was more effective um, in, in terms of reaching God, but in terms of my own attention. I found, for example, kneeling and praying out loud was a lot different than tucking myself into bed and getting all warm under the covers, folding my hands and saying a, a silent prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know? Do you all uh, experience? We talked about you know praying when we see something or having that kind of, these kind of open prayers. But have you found that in your formal fair, prayer, fra- sorry, prayer practice, um, that body posture and way of praying, oral prayer over say silent prayer makes a difference? I'm sure John is going to have something to say <laughs> about this because of the, uh, I mean, the, the whole idea of the mudras and things like that. But uh, I would say that within the practice of hesychism, um, the hesychists were were 
criticized uh, by the contemporaries, and they were called navel gazers. Mm -hmm. Because you would physically fold the body in uh, so that you would be – your vision would be sort of directed inward as opposed to outside into the world. So you'd almost sort of curl up. I mean Mm -hmm. that you would – would get on onto your knees and you would you would sort of curl into yourself. And and I know that a lot of uh, orthodox – practitioners and, and theoreticians of hesychasm have said that this is an essential element of hesychas practice and is one of the reasons that you need a, a, a spiritual advisor in this regard because you can actually do yourself physical harm sure. Um, sure. By, by doing this in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's certainly – does have uh, an impact. And I think that you're absolutely right, Lainey, to say this isn't going to – it's not that God is only listening if I've got my hands in the right position or, or you know, my head cocked to one side or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it changes our attitude. It changes our uh, perspective on prayer, and that's an uh, essential element of it. Mm-hmm. And if I can add my two cents worth into this, is that you know I would say that for me, um, you know, both um, kind of body position and kind of externalized prayer has made a huge difference instead of kind of just this internalized prayer. Um, I find that, um, and some of this may have come um, when I was studying Aido and Kendo, where, you know, one is sitting on one's knees for long periods of time and one gets this very uncomfortable burning sensations in one's knees after sitting in long periods of time in in body postures or asana. And I think that for me, um, one, that helps to kind of um, aid in the focus, if you will. I think that it's something we have to kind of physically work through. Um, if we work through the pain, if we work through uh, the discomfort so we can become more focused upon the prayer. I also find that, you know, the outward projection of prayer um, can become, you know, vibrations that reach outwards into the universe. Um, and even if that is directed, as, as William, you know, states, kind of inwards into, into our own centers, uh, we are still causing this vibration that vibrates within us and resonates through, through the whole universe. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, since since His Grace opened the door for me there on the the mudras and things, this is actually where I get in trouble with a lot of my uh, friends in the Buddhist and Hindu practices and others, where there is such a heavy, uh, you know, reliance on body posture. Is that's been a hard sell for me all my life, and it's really not something that I subscribe to, except as you all were just saying, if it's something that helps you. As the individual, if it opens you up mm-hmm. to prayer, to experiencing the divine, then by all means, go with it. But I really hate to see somebody who's struggling with the idea of, am I sitting right? Am I Are my hands folded correctly? If you're spending more time having a conversation with yourself or reminding yourself that, goodness, your back hurts, your knees hurt – you're wasting precious time that you could be having that conversation with the divine. So there again, to me, I've never found the evidence where, you know, God or, or Jesus said, you got to do it this way. They're just always saying, do it. Talk to me. 
Let's have this conversation. I don't think it, it matters if you're in bed, if you're on your knees. The bottom line is not being afraid to open yourself no matter where you are or what position you're in. So sometimes we need to go through training where we're sitting in a certain posture or we're kneeling to help us get to this idea that even in our most uncomfortable moments, we can have these conversations with God, with the divine, but that should never take us away from the fact that as, as Father Tony said earlier, you can do it in the car, you can do it in bed. You should hear me pray when I'm on a plane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, hopefully, hopefully Father life. Tony is not, you know, sort of putting himself into some uncomfortable asana while he's driving. <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's illegal in most choice. states. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the 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 use of body position, um, clothing, uh, stuff around me. You know, I I tend to view all of that kind of stuff as um, as triggers to my conscious and subconscious brain. You know, mm -hmm. that it is time now to be doing prayer, to be doing something in a spiritual sense, and I'm not worried about who's texting me, and I'm not worried about, you know, what, what I should have emailed to that guy at work, that kind of thing. So when I when I kneel down, I this isn't something I do in my daily life. It's special. And, mm -hmm. it's, and it's put aside in that, you know, kind of spiritual it, sense. It, it is a kind of crutch, and I am the very first to admit that I desperately need those crutches. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. I don't walk mm -hmm. well on my own. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I, you know, if I can surround myself with, uh, and, and this I think comes back to a lot of esoteric practice, if I can surround myself with the symbols of the force that I'm trying to invoke, if I can create in myself the attitude of, of prayerfulness by surrounding myself with the images of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, it makes it that much easier for me. Mm -hmm. Does that make me a lazy bastard? Well, you know, maybe I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, you know, that's news to absolutely no one, but um, I, I think that, you know, there are some people who are very dismissive of that. It's like, Oh, you know, you're not doing it right. If you need to, to light incense and light candles and, uh, you know, put on your special robes and all of those things. Um, I, that's how I do it. And that's how it's going to work best for me. And if anyone else says that I'm praying wrong, well, I've got special words for them. Well, my special <laughs> words are, what are they doing? And how often are they doing it? Exactly. it, it you know, it, it, if you're going to wave your finger, okay, how often a day do you pray without your robes and without your incense and without your candles? You know, how much time do you spend every day in prayer? If you're doing it for several hours a day without any special accoutrements, Holy you know, then you... you. Well, well, not so much bully for you, but I actually maybe you ought to be maybe you're still doing it wrong because you feel necessary to criticize somebody else for the way that they're praying. So you know their own development is kind of misguided at that point. I, I think. Mean, in fact, if I can share a funny story with you all, when I was you know young and raised within the faith system of my family, um, somebody got it into my head somewhere that once you start praying, for example, you know, let's say it's time to go to bed, you're saying your evening prayers. Nothing is allowed to interrupt you. And I took that advice so seriously as a child that, you know, if my mother would call my name up the steps to see if I was in bed yet, I was sort of like, oh, mom, you interrupted my prayers. I would have to start all over again from the beginning 
because I had this in my head that the only way this prayer was going to work is if I got through the whole thing without being interrupted. You know, no sneezing, no nodding off, no anything. You know, as I was, some nights it would take me forever. To get <laughs> oh, God, that if, we, because, if the rule is that I'm not allowed to nod off while praying, I am screwed. I just because I do, half half the time for me, you know, this is the centering nap. Right? I, mean, this is, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was probably I, in my teens before I finally said, "What on earth am I doing? Starting over again?" You know, but that's, that, but that's that legalistic, materialistic attitude that we so often have towards prayer. Is that mm-hmm. it's this it's this machine, it's this formula that we have to observe in this this absolute sort of way and if we diverge from it in the least way well then we've just wasted our time and and i don't think that that's productive i don't think that that's Mm -hmm. healthy i don't think that that's useful and i don't think that it acknowledges the the fact that we are that we we have to start from somewhere that you know these are baby steps uh, that we must take in many ways towards a spiritual progress. And there may be times where being extremely um, specific and ascetic about our prayer may be good for our development, yeah. but it, you, it takes a while to get there. Yeah, and, and, and to be sure, I mean, I still find myself, I, I'm still taking those baby steps, I and mean, that's, that's oh, sure. what I do. I mean, I, I, I don't think any of us here are sitting, are sitting in a position of saying, well, we know how to pray. And we've learned some things in our own practice about what is useful for us, but I, I think that all of us would agree that it's presumptuous to, to tell another person how they ought to be praying. Um, that there are so yeah. many paths to it, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I want you all to consider that I very arguably the most arrogant human being on the planet is saying <laughs> this. So um, so that that should mean something. So. Absolutely. Well, we're uh, we're coming up on our time. Uh, we should start wrapping up here. Does anybody have any final thoughts that they'd like to share? Any, specifically, let's say any advice for people who want to be praying but don't necessarily know how they should begin or get better at it or any tips. Two Whatever words: you're doing, you're just doing pray. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's ex- I, I, exactly right. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. Exactly. And if you want to set yourself, uh, you know, set a standard, um, several years ago, somebody finally got me to read, uh, what's it called? The Way of a Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. And I I still give that book out to people just to show them, you know, here's somebody who, again, is praying without ceasing. Doesn't matter if they're cutting onions, walking through a field, you know, in a grand cathedral. It's pray, pray, pray. So I read that and I think to myself, my goodness, you know, this this is possible, but, you know, so something to work toward. I don't know that I'll ever get there. One thing that I would I would point out just on a sort of formal basis is um, this this last uh, Sunday we celebrated uh, for the first time the feast of Saint Constant Chevillon, and uh, I spared. Uh, my congregants, uh, one of my sermons, and instead simply read Constant Chevillon's uh, essay on prayer, which I found to be just absolutely extraordinary. Amazing. And so I can't recommend that enough. I did the Beautiful. same in New York. I did the exact same thing. I just read that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant little essay. And I found myself, I think what I found most extraordinary is how moved 
I was, how emotionally moved I was in mm-hmm. reading it. Uh, it wasn't just an intellectual exercise. It was something that, that, that burned with uh, an interior flame that, that I was honored to sort of be in the presence of. Yeah, and Bishop mm-hmm. Canterbury read a bit of that uh, on the video show. And mm-hmm. uh, if the listeners are interested in finding that, it's very easy to find. Just Google Constant Chevillon. Uh, don't ask me how to spell it. But, um, and, then, and then prayer. Uh, it'll come up. Yep, it definitely will come up as a PDF. <laughs> and uh, you know, the only other thing that I would say, in addition to all of the excellent advice from my brothers here, is that you don't have to wait until tomorrow to start a prayer practice. Mm. You you know, unless you are operating a motor vehicle or your father Tony, um, you can you know you you can at that moment um, utter a prayer. And while I do think there's a lot to be said for for eventually developing a prayer schedule and discipline, if you're feeling that need for that, you can pray right now. You don't Mm -hmm. have to wait for a special time, and you don't have to wait for for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this was a great conversation. I I really look forward to more of these. Um, Before we go, though, I wanted to – we just started our Patreon campaign. So if you're mm-hmm. watching this uh, or listening to this rather after the fact, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Gnostic, and that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N and Gnostic with a G, as you'd expect. Um, and, uh, and we have our first round of uh, patrons over there, and I would like to thank them. Uh, maybe you'll recognize uh, some of the names here. Uh, thank you to John, Laney, Greg, Donald, Rufus, Jonathan, and Fayette, our first round of Patrons, thanks to you, uh, we're going to be receiving fourteen dollars for this podcast. So, you know, <laughs> baby steps. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it's it's going to be more money than we got with our YouTube ads, and we're going to be able to improve the quality of our shows and produce more shows as time goes by, mm-hmm. and uh, and all that. So, thank you to all of our current patrons, and thank you to all of our future patrons. Absolutely, thank yeah, you thank so you much. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Well, I think that concludes tonight's uh, talking. This is after dark. I want to thank our guests. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, I definitely learned some insight tonight on prayer. Um, I've always been kind of a formula prayer guy, um, but listening to many of my brethren and sister here, um, it definitely opened up some um, some something in my eyes for me. Uh, um, I like some of these possibilities of walking through a doorway yeah. or going past the speeding sign or, or you know, my speed limit had 80. I better pray. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely some insight tonight. And I definitely appreciate you guys participating with us. Absolutely. Join us next week for Talk Gnosis at our regular time at 9 o'clock. And afterwards, join us for our podcast here at After Dark. Yep, which is on uh, iTunes and can be found online at our our, um, website at talknosis.gnosticnyc.com. Chances are if they're listening to this, they've already found it. (laughs) I hope so, but you never know. (laughs) Never know. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Thanks again. Good Good night. night. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. 